to see everyone. And um, so we are going to, uh, the title of the sermon today is uh, New Year's Reconciliation uh, instead of Resolution. So um, if you could go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're going to start right in God's Word and read our scripture this morning, which comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So uh, please turn your Bibles or follow along on the screen and, uh, and stand for the reading of God's Word. Once you're there, say amen. Amen. Everybody should say it. All right, here we go. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, so much for every person here today. Thank you, Lord, for leading them here today to just to praise you and glorify you by by singing your praises and opening your word. We pray today that this message can be from you through me and um, just have everyone's hearts uh, be open to this message. It is a time where we where we try to reflect a little bit on the past, but we look forward to the future. Um, and what we can do for you. So I pray that today that these words um, can be from you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. All right, so New Year's, New Year's resolutions, right? Chris was already talking about them a little bit. I'm squeaking. You got me. All right. All right, so anybody ready? All right, I'm not going to jump rope, not on this stage. All right. So, but New Year's resolutions, anybody ever thought about what they're going to make? Everybody thought about it, right? So, I'm not going to jump rope, but when, when I think about jumping rope and getting fit, I go back to a little childhood game, and uh, Daniel is going to come help me, help me play this game. I think about this childhood game that uh, used to love this game in elementary school, and uh, it's called Jump the Brook. Maybe in West Virginia it's called Jump the Creek, I don't know, but I don't know if uh, anybody... <laughs> Anybody plays this game, right? But it's a simple game where you put, you lay down two pieces of rope, right? And then everybody goes through, tries to jump over the creek. Right there, right? Everybody makes it over the creek. And then guess what? The creek gets a little bit wider, right? Everybody tries to jump over the creek. Don't land in the creek. All right? And one more. Don't fall off the stage on this one, buddy. All right? And one more. There you go. Good deal. Give him a hand. Thanks, sir. All right? So we try to, try to jump over that, and what that makes me think about, I'm going somewhere, that's, trust me, all right, when we jump over the creek, there, there's a gap, right? That gap gets wider. And there's a gap in the non-believer's life between us and between Christ, right? Or between God, excuse me. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is the reconciliation of that gap. So reconciliation is a big word. It's a long word, right? So the first thing we're going to start with is making sure that we understand um, what reconciliation is. And so that's why I'm going to go over here and work not on my first calling. All right. I'm going to draw a little bit. 
So I sent Huff a picture of my, of my stick figures last night, so that's what he was uh, picking on me about. And I've also learned to stay away from the back wall now because of the, your shadows and what casts the back wall. So I'm going to stay on the very front of the stage, right? and we'll go through there. All right, so, so reconciliation is a big word. Renee, did I spell that right? It's a big word, all right? So reconciliation. If y'all will turn to me to, with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Excuse me, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 23. Matthew 5, verse 23. All right? So very simple terms. Reconciliation is restoring a relationship. All right, reconciliation is restoring a relationship, but I want to draw this. Y'all look good over here. It's a side of you I've never seen before. That's good. All right. All right, so reconciliation. There you go. Huff got it. There you go. All right, so uh, Matthew 5, 23 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Okay? All right, so this fella. Okay? All right, he's at the altar. I'll call it the altar, right? Then you have this other person over here. All right? You're here and you've done something wrong. Okay? You've done something wrong. Yep. All right, done something wrong. Okay? So, what does the scripture tell us to do? Go to the other person and be reconciled. Go to the other person and restore the relationship. All right? That's what this scripture is telling us to do. All right? Then turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. All right, this passage says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. If she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay? So in this particular situation, okay, the wife, I'll give her some hair. Okay? She's done something wrong. It needs to go be reconciled with her husband. Okay? That relationship needs to be restored in this scripture. Okay? Everybody get that concept of reconciliation. Okay? Right, we're going to pause there. I've got one more thing to, to draw in just a second. Right? But that's the concept of reconciliation. You're restoring a relationship. Okay? So next I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. I'm going to go slower. Heather picked on me last time because I was flipping too fast. <laughs> All right. So this is reconciliation, but reconciliation of what? And I think a lot of people miss this in the Christian faith. Jesus saves. We're going to talk about that. But Jesus saves from what? We have a problem that needs to be reconciled. So what is that problem? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. At creation, we walked in the garden. Man walked in the garden with God. And then we, we, our ownership, we fell. We committed the sin. 324, it says, he, being God, drove out man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree. We were cast out of the garden. More importantly, we were cast out of the presence of God. Right? That is our problem. That is the gap that we now have to get over. That is what has to be reconciled in each one of our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But the cool part about this relationship and what is very unique about it is that God is the reconciler in our passage. So go back with me to our passage of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians verse, and in the whole passage, actually God is mentioned seven times in this very short passage. But in verse Verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. All this is from who? From God, who through Christ reconciled, to, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All right? So, one more picture. One more really bad picture. Right? So we talked about these two biblical representations of what reconciliation should look like. There's one more. Okay? Pretend this is the world. Alright? I can't draw a spirit, so I'm going to pretend. Alright, so this is us. This is God. Okay? Who did something wrong? We did. We wronged. What does our passage say God did? God reconciled. Which way does this arrow go? What makes this, what makes our God so amazing is that He went this way. He wants to reconcile with us. That's what's amazing about our God in this picture. And one thing I want you to grasp about the concept of reconciliation. Okay? God is the reconciler. God is the reconciler. This is total opposite of what we should do. There's so many things in our faith that seem total opposite of what man should do because God is the ultimate creator. Think about uh, the prodigal son in Luke 15. Who did wrong in that situation? The son. But when that son showed up on the hilltop, what did the father do? Did he wait for him to come to him? No. He went to him for that reconciliation to help restore that relationship. That's why our God is so awesome. That's why other gods in our culture are so indifferent, are so apathetic. And that's why people are searching. Huff shared the stats. People are searching for a solution, searching for a savior to their lives. But people are worshiping other gods, Allah in the Muslim faith, very indifferent. Baal, even our Bible, actually turn with me to Kings, 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18, 27. 
1 Kings 18.27. Say amen when you get there. Say amen when you get there and I'll, I'll read it. A few people are there. A screen, a cheat on the screen. <laughs> All right. All right, and then it says Elijah here. They're, they're going back and forth about whose God is the ultimate God. And it says in uh, 1 Kings 18, 27, And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry out loud, for he is a God. For he is a God. Either he is musing or relieving himself or is on a journey or perhaps asleep or must be awakened. That's the way a lot of religions look at their God. They just sit there. It's just, they, they talk to them. They call to them. But what? They never answer. They never answer. But we know of our scripture that God does answer. We've been studying the book of Daniel, right? Daniel called, pleaded, and then God sent an angel to help Daniel, right? God hears us, right? So, uh, Brother Brian, if you could put up that one slide on reconciliation. So this is a very, I'm a very visual person, so if you don't mind my, my art here, right? But reconciliation, right, is about restoring relationships, um, but if you dive a little bit deeper, a little bit more spiritual, right? Reconciliation is by God's provision, divine provision, which God's holy displeasure is appeased, hostility is removed, and sinners can be restored to Him, right? A little bit deeper, spiritual sense of what reconciliation is all about. Hopefully you have a better understanding now of that concept of reconciliation and the problem we have, and that God is the one that wants to reconcile himself to us. Alright, so next is the method of reconciliation. The method of reconciliation. So how are we reconciled to God? Jesus. That's all I need for this bullet point. But Brian, throw up the next slide. If you need a verse, go pick one. <laughs> Alright? I typed all those out. I didn't read them all, but I did <laughs> right? But I typed all those out. Alright? Just, just pick one. And that's not an exhaustive list, all right? That's not an exhaustive list. But Jesus is the only way. Back at our passage in Corinthians, guess what? Jesus, or Christ, is mentioned seven times in our very short passage because Jesus is the one that God allowed us to be reconciled to, right? When Jesus, and then the question comes up, it says, how can God be just and justify the sinners. So this gets a little bit deeper, but how can God be just and justify the sinners? And that is the substitution that Jesus made on the cross for us. I heard a quote this week, and it, it rattled me a little bit. I'm going to share it with you, but it rattled me a little bit. It said, and John MacArthur shared it, it said, God killed Jesus with his wrath over your sins instead of doing it to you. I just read that, and I read that, and I read that. And it hit me hard, really hard. This doesn't sound right. You know, we're, we're taught, we're taught, you know, it, just the Sunday school dust, the, just the, we're taught, I say it, the rainbows and unicorns, right? We're, we're just taught that, that, that God, once you accept Jesus, everything is just rosy, happy, everything's so happy. And when you read a sentence like that to where God killed Jesus over, his, over what you did, it doesn't make sense. But it's true because it's God's plan. It's God's plan for us. Our verse in chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he, God, made him to be sin, Jesus, made him to be sin, 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a plan that doesn't make sense, but it is God's plan. It is God's plan. That's what I want to make sure everyone sees. It, seem, it doesn't seem right. He treats Jesus as sin. He doesn't treat Jesus as a sinner. A very small distinction. He turns Jesus into sin, not a sinner. Jesus was perfection. But it, then he treats us as righteousness. That's just incredible to me. It's the opposite the way it should be. That relationship is opposite of the way it should be. How he did this on the cross was the way that it should be. But every sin will be punished. It's either going to be punished in your eternity in hell, or it's going to be punished on the cross. Either way, it will be punished. So as part of this method of reconciliation, your belief in what Jesus did for you is more to save me. And that's what I want to make sure that I, get, that I explain to you today. That there's a problem. There is a separation between us and God. And our belief in that is greater than Jesus saves us. All right, let's turn to 16. 16. Verse 30. Acts 6, 16, verse 30, where the, the Philippian jailer is converted. Verse 30, it says, Then he brought them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Right. I read this passage more like, just, he didn't say a little prayer, right? They spent time with him. They explained to him. They nurtured him on what he needed to be saved. It was much more than just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. You're saved from, you're saved from the problem of that first garden, that first fall. All saved from that. Thomas Schneider said this quote, and I like it because it has power in this word. It says, God's saving love has invaded human history through the cross of Christ, delivering those who are captive to the current evil age. Right? God's saving love. So that concept of what I said that I struggle with, with, like with Jesus on the cross, flip it and say, God, how are you viewing it? God's saving love has invaded human history through the cross of Christ. He invaded. Right? He set a path for method of our reconciliation. Belief in Christ he is the God for us. He is out us to God. And praise be to Him for doing that. So that we have a relationship with Christ, with God. Verses. One of my favorite is part of the resolution that curse is torn. That is torn. The symbolic nature of we now have that direct relationship with God through Christ who is now our mediator and high priest. Alright, so we understand reconciliation, the method of reconciliation. So now what are the results of reconciliation. And the results of the reconciliation are um, in verse 17 of our passage. And hence the newness and the new year. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? So a new is upon us. Right? A new is upon us. So the letter of Corinthians was written by Paul, right? Paul. And convert, right? New Christian faith. And several missionary journeys, right? Went on several missionary journeys, right? And this is one is that um, he wrote this letter. I want to sit back. Turn with me. I'm going to have a seat. 
I'm going to steal Mary's seat. I'm going to have a seat for this journey. All right, hopefully none of these are on. All right, so everybody turn with me back to the first, Second Corinthians, the first part of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, I want you to look at, uh, follow along with me. I don't know if you, what your personal preference is, if you, if you write in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible. Um, some people have a version that they kind of mark up and work with. Some of it they just read, so there's no thoughts there to kind of um, conflict anything. But whatever you do, I, I, I've marked, this is my, I call it my working copy. <laughs> right, my working copy where I write a lot of notes in it. Um, but I want to start this letter, and I want to think about, think about Paul before he was saved. Think about before he was saved, and then read a few of these things and think about how these relate to you, because I want to show you what the newness in this letter is from Paul. All right? Several things. Follow along with me for a few minutes. All right, so 2 Corinthians, first verse. First verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. All right, so Paul, in this very first passage, he has a new identity. Right? He has a new identity. Before he was converted, he was a whole other name, right? A whole other name, set of priorities, principles guiding his life. But now right here, Paul, an apostle of Christ, he has a new identity. Think about our passage says a new creation. These are all concepts, ideas of what a new creation looks like, right? What a new creation looks like. So he has a new identity. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So as a new creation, you have a new peace in your life. A new peace in your life that only God can provide. All right, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. As a new creation in Christ, you now have a new comfort in Christ. Skip down to verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Beyond our physical strength, right? But in Christ, as a new creation, you now have a new strength in your life through Christ. Verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope. As a new believer in Christ, we have a new hope in our life. Next verse, you must also help us by prayer. Now as a new believer, a new creature in Christ, you have a new help in your life. You with me? With me? A lot of newness here. This is a passage I've never read in this light before of what's new. This is all new to Paul. He speaks, he's the expert, but you know, go back. This is so applicable to us because as we become new believers, even as we become slightly stronger on our walk, right? these are all newness things that we realize. All right, over chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's a great verse. Verse 20, for all the new promises. As a new creation, you have now new promises. Verse 22, And who has all put a seal on us and given us His Spirit, in our hearts as a guarantee. As a new creation, you now have a new spirit in you. Verse 24, Now that we lord it over our faith, but we work 
with you for your joy. You now have a new joy in your life as a new creation in Christ. Skip ahead a little bit, and this one can be funny, so don't take it the wrong way. But chapter 2, verse 15, For we now have a new aroma in Christ. You still have to wear your deodorant, right? Right, but it's a presence about you. As a new creation, you now have, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance of, from death to death, the other a fragrance from what? From life to life. As a new creation, we have new life. All right, chapter 3, verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters and stone came with such glory. This whole passage right here is glory, 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 glory. All the way through verse 11. We have a new glory as a new creation. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very bold in Christ. If I was to ask a show of hands who felt they were bold in Christ... I would get a few. I'm bold in Christ. But then several of us would be like, eh, I don't quite know enough to say I'm bold. But like Huff said, there's a growth there. There's a learning there. We all want that growth to grow in Christ. When we grow, we grow in His glory for others to see. Right? And that's what's such, it's so great right now for those that are hungering for His Word. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've talked about freedom hard the last couple months through different messages. There's a freedom as a new creation in Christ. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds. It goes on to talk about as a new creation, there is now a new sight as a believer. We look at the world totally different when we have Christ in our lives. Chapter 4, verse 8, we are afflicted every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We have a new confidence. We have a new confidence as a new creation in Christ. Almost there, but this is incredible. Keep your new glasses on. I thought about my daughter and I, we watched the mom goggles video on Skit Guys the other day. I thought about giving everybody new, new creation goggles, right? Because you, you see the world Right? When you're a new creation, you see the world differently. So stay with me, because I want you to look at these. Think back, meditate on these. All right? Verse 11 in chapter 4. For we who live, there's a new life. For we who live are always, but the life of Christ is manifested in us. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we now have a new faith. Right? Keeps going down. In verse 13 it says, And so we also speak. So now we have a new speech. We have a new speech in our life as a new creation. Renee was watching, uh, listening to a, um, a podcast uh, just yesterday. She listened to a podcast and one of them started and she goes, Man, she kind of threw in a few cuss words here and there, but now it's just like her, you know, she's just doing it all the time. And she's like, Is it one of your running, or quilting one or running ones? I'm not sure. Running one, right? And she just kept talking about, oh, it's kind of like stings you. Every time you, you, know, you hear a curse word, it just kind of stings you. Right? As a believer, you have a new speech. What comes out of your mouth, you want it to glorify God. Right? Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends. We have a new grace as a new creation. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. We have a new heart as a new creation. 
17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We have a new future through Christ. A new future. Chapter 5, it says, we have a new earthly home. Sorry, no, our tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God. We have a new home in heaven. Five, chap, chapter 5, verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given to us the Spirit as a guarantee. We have a new guarantee. Take it to the bank. Christ has signed it. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We have a new courage in Christ, much like the boldness that we talked about. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We have a new aim. We have a new target. We have a new goal in our life. Over to 14, chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For the love of Christ controls us. Controls us. I thought about bringing up the old Nintendo. It only had two buttons, A and B, right? You just got those two. But now the new controllers, PlayStation 4, Xbox, right? They got a lot more buttons. What's controlling you? I hit my son pretty hard yesterday where he was talking about the message. And I said, what's more important in your life, getting that 85 Randy Moss or the glory of God? There's a few of you that know what I'm talking about, right? That are playing that PlayStation. They're focused on getting that higher, the higher rating player, right? What's the ultimate drive in your life? I even noticed that the football game last night, they actually put up the player screen on the, on the football games last night. They actually had the rating on there. It's amazing how they're going after our children, not in a bad way, but what's, what's, well, actually it is in a bad way. What, what is their priority? Right? What, what are our children, what are our teenagers' priority in their life? Play, have fun, but don't lose focus. There's a balance, as with anything in our lives. Right? So all those are newness. We scrolled through, scrolled through five chapters. There's over 20 things that we talked about what a new creation looks like from this letter, this one letter. It's all new in our lives, right? Another quote I found, those who enjoy the new creation work of God have died to the power of the world through Christ's cross. We've died to the power of the world. Whew. Died to the power of the world. So I've got to ask myself, who would not want this? Who would not want this? How come people just aren't flooding into this building, every church across America? Who would not want this? You know, this book has all the answers. This book has all the answers. Who wouldn't want this? Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Who wouldn't want this? It sounds too good to be true. But it's not. John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. 
when we love our sin more than Christ, that's the problem, right? Another problem that has to be reconciled. That has to be reconciled. I want those new things. I want them. You have to want it more than that. Charles Spurgeon wrote this talking about you know, the new creation. When we get that new creation, I talk about the new grace that's in our lives. It says, Grace implants a holy and divine principle which goes to instant war with all indwelling sin and continues to fight until corruption is subdued and holiness is enthroned. I'm going to read it again because that's powerful. Some big words in it. We talked about a new creation, a new believer. Do you think everything in the past just disappears? No, it doesn't. That's part of the rainbow and unicorn story, right? It just all disappears. It's great. Here's my new life. All of our experiences are with us. We have consequences, good and bad, for those, right? But when we're that new creation in Christ, we have that new grace in our lives. And that grace implants a holy and divine principle, which goes to war with all that indwelling sin and continues to fight until the corruption is subdued and holiness is enthroned in our lives. Holiness is enthroned in our lives. It will be a struggle, but think of all those new things in your arsenal that you now have as a new creation in Christ to fight the evil of the world. And then the other thing as a result of reconciliation is now we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. No pressure. No pressure. But now we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Our scripture calls it ambassadors. Right? It says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So ambassadors to another country... It can be, normally that term ambassadors, right? We, we think about other countries going to other places. But the thing here that we can apply to us is that, because some people will be called to go to other countries. Some people will be called to stay locally, right? But if you're an ambassador, you end up in an alien culture. Think about it that way. Would you feel that we're becoming more and more an alien culture? A different culture than Christ, what Christ's culture should be like? We're in a different culture. Because heaven is our new home, this is not it as a new creation in Christ. But as ambassadors, we're a mouthpiece for our sovereign God. We represent Him in other people's lives. And there's a lot of pressure to that, to perform in a lot of different ways. We put His name on our sleeve, on our shirts. That's why actually why I wore this company shirt today. Right? Huff always has a York shirt on, right? Different people will wear shirts. We put our name on our shirt. Get everybody a shirt for Sunday, says Jesus. Call everybody Jesus when you come in. On a, sorry, I got to explain that story. It's on a mission trip. One of the favorite guys in the Dominican Republic. His name was Jesus. This is a great guy. He said, you can call me Jesus. <laughs> right? I was sharing with Brother Jeff the other day, actually at the time, total squirrel story. But actually at the time when Christ was born, Jesus was the sixth most popular name in the culture at the time. So fun Bible fact for you. Sixth most popular name. So when you read the scriptures, think about it. It says Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of a carpenter. Jesus, they always preface that. 
Because actually, hey, just like baby names of the day, they had the records of the time too, right? Wow, okay, where did I get through? All right, names on the shirt. All right, names on the shirt. We wear Christ when we go out into the world. Another good thing I read this week, a quote, um, it says, you cannot turn your mission field into your enemies. You cannot turn your mission field into your enemies. Think about 9-11, right? Bam, all of a sudden, every Muslim was a bad guy. Everyone. That's our mission field. That's our mission field. Why are they our enemies? Bam, why are they our enemies? They are our mission field. People, a non-believer does something wrong to you, it hurts, it stings. But why are they our enemy? They're our mission field. I wrestle with this one. I wrestle with this one. But we are to be reconciled for those earthly relationships as well because we are ambassadors for Christ. We should wear His name on all of our actions. Final thought for today. I read, I read a threefold statement yesterday at the same time my wife read a threefold statement. I said, well, I got to share these together because only God would bring them up at the same time. All right? So uh, a New Year's thought for you. You can do three things with your time. Okay? You can do three things with your time. You can either waste your time, you can spend your time, or you can invest your time. Okay? So think about that as you go into the new year. You can waste your time, spend your time, or invest your time. So Renee goes, hey, honey, I just read this. Or this, just, this was just shared with me. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. I just read this. And this is from Spurgeon. It said, there are three states of the human soul in regards to connection to Christ. Very similar. The first state is without Christ. This is a state of nature, of non-believers. The next is in Christ. This is the state of grace, the new believers. When you accept Christ, you're living in that state of Christ. And then the third state of Christ is when we get we're re reunited in a state of glory. Right? So those three things come together. I think about, do I want to waste my time? Where am I spending my time? Where am I investing my time? I don't want to invest it in the world. I want to invest it in relationships with people to bring them into God's glory one day in the future. And that is my hope and my prayer for everyone here today. Right? That we all can join in that state of glory with God one day. So it's a new year and a new day. Come Tuesday. But like Brother Chris said, there's no point in waiting until Tuesday. Because you can make an impact today. Right? Let's stand.